Well, hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Podcast. I am your host, Michael Blanc. I am super excited that you're here to learn about financial freedom with real estate. And I got a crackerjack episode for you because we have Ed Hermson, who you've never heard of, but he just quit his job. He's covering his living expenses because he did his third deal. So I'm going to drill down on that. Now, before we get to that, I do want to remind you we had DealMaker Live a couple of weeks ago, and the recordings are available. Some of you who did not participate live, which was super cool, the live, it was awesome. We had like six, seven Zoom channels, and we're streaming, and we had, it was just awesome. The networking was good with breakout groups. Some of the VIPs were able to hang out with Robert Helms and Brandon Turner, and so the recordings are available. What was cool, the main message really is stay calm, stay the course. I mean, if I were to distill down the message from Robert Helms, Joe Fairless, Brandon Turner and all the rest. That's what it came down to. Now, but what should you do differently now that we're, we are and what's working now? Now, for the answer to that, you're going to have to get the recordings, but it's a super affordable $197. And you get it at dealmakerliveevent.com, dealmakerliveevent.com and grab your recordings. All right. So we're going to get here into the interview with Ed Hermson. I was really worried about him. You know, five years ago, he did his first deal and I was waiting for the second to fall, uh, like the law of the first deal. And it just didn't. And I lost touch with Ed. And I was, oh gosh, he's my one example where the law of the first deal did not work. And thankfully, he did do his second and third deal and quit his job. It just took him a little longer. And we talked about why that was. Why did it take him longer? And long story short, his life kind of got in the way. And he got, you know, he's kind of drifting away from why he got into multifamily. We talked about how he overcame came that we talked about how he structured the deals because he didn't syndicate deals he did partnerships how did he find those partners and why is the partners work and how can you use that to scale your own uh, business as well so we talked a lot of mindset stuff he could have easily fallen away he talked about committing to the outcome not so much of the timeline and uh yeah we just uh, this is a, a great discussion we talk a lot about tactics and some of the challenges that he had that you might be facing as well as you're trying to do your first uh, first deal and so let's get right now into the interview with ed hermson let's do this you're listening to the apartment building investing podcast where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Ed, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a while, brother. Hope you're doing good. It's uh, it's been a while, but uh, you have finally reached out to me and said I did a, a a big monster 100 unit deal and essentially quit your job. I was like, ooh, must have you on the podcast. <laughs> so we're gonna delve into that right now. Sure. But uh, you know, what are you doing right now, like with your extra time? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. One area where I've been really uh, excited to get back into is doing some character coaching. I've always mm. loved sports and loved high school kids and that. So I've been able to kind of develop some programs to the local schools of character coaching. I think kids these days, high school kids are, um, they kind of all feel like they're going to be college and professional athletes. And, you know, we growing up as kids just did sports to do sports. So I'm trying to get that. I'm reading a lot of books and being character coaching. So I'm excited to kind of take that to the next level and then teach other men of my age and people at my church, whoever else that want to be involved. Cause I think Character coaching is a vital part. It helps the coach out. They can kind of take some stuff off their plate. And that's been a real passion of mine that I want to get back into. And then just, yeah, just traveling and just trying to see how I can hang out in the community a little bit more, do some stuff. So That's pretty cool. What, what's character coaching? What does that mean? What it was developed was through a group called FCA. I've been with FCA Fellowship to Christian Athletes for a lot of years. And a local member here wanted to develop this character coach, someone who basically goes into a high school, a high school coach and says, where do you need help? Is it 
hey, I need help with goal setting. That's what I was asked to do. How do I get goal setting? How do I teach people to journal? I learned that journaling through some a mutual friend of ours, Hal Elrod, over the years. And so I've been able to inspire these young men and women to do that through, through uh, their goal setting. So that was my area. But it's all kinds of things. Some coaches need help with just handling scorekeeping or whatever else. So it's just a way to get into coaches and help these high school coaches out because you probably know if you know they don't make much money and they work a lot of hours. So it's good if we can help them out. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Obviously, you you it's just, you're excited about this. I am. It's it's awesome. It's so much fun seeing these high school kids. And I have three boys myself, so it's kind of you know it's obviously I've been able to inquire some of that to them as well. But just going out and just seeing how many some kind of kids are so lost, but they just want to be talked to and treated normal. And just I feel like an outlet for some of these young men and women. So. And you weren't able to do this before, like several years ago when you were still working full-time? No, I, I would probably say, I, if I had to be honest with myself, I wouldn't probably be able to invest. I could probably have done it, but I wouldn't be able to take that time and read the books because it's all about education. You know that, like anything you do, if you're not reading books and getting ideas from other people who've done it, if you're doing it on your own, it's never going to work. So same thing applies with real estate, applies to most other things. You've got to get educated. you got to put the time in. And now I am able to do that. So, so. Oh, that's just, it's just cool. I mean, you're right. You, you do have to focus on, on it to a large degree. What, what were you doing before? Let's, let's wind the clock back yeah. because, Ed, sure. I've known you now for a long time, almost uh, back in when I was started in 2014 and 15. Yeah. And um, what were you doing before, before you got into real estate? And why did you yeah. get into real estate? Yeah, good question. So right out of college, I got into mortgage banking. So I worked for a lot of mortgage companies, basically originating home loans. So through that process, I see people's tax returns. I see who's doing what and who's making what. And here I'm this 19-year-old kid going, wow, okay, maybe I should buy a rental. So that's what I did. I started every year buying a rental and moving out. You know, I knew the rules. You had to live there one year. So I buy the rental, move there one year. And you know, slowly build up my portfolio here in Colorado. Quite honestly, I got very lucky because the market in Colorado appreciated at pretty high levels. So when I was ready to sell these rentals and start buying multifamily, I had lots of equity. And I think the one area where I look at, that's where I started was a single family. Just like most people, just buy one or two units. I was up to probably about 10 single family here. Didn't want to go out of Northern Colorado. No, don't want to do that. That's too scary for me at that time, you know. And then just one day I was sitting in my office with these other guys who were looking at multifamily out in Oklahoma. And they started talking about things like cap rates and all other stuff. I'm like, what are they talking about? What's a cap rate? How do you analyze deals? I said, I just see what it praises for, what it rents for. If I can make a couple hundred bucks, then I'm happy. Like, no, you can make a couple thousand every month on these deals. And I'm like, what? So then I stopped, came across your website, just Googled, okay, I got to figure this out. And ultimate, you know, apartment, I took your class and wrote that check and just went through all the classes and sat through those with you. And yeah, so that's the syndication deals and just learning all that was just huge for me. So that's my story. So you got you got into Reynolds when you were 19. Now you're no longer 19, right? Uh, you're, no, you're, so yeah. what happened between 19 and where you are now, right? Because yeah. you otherwise, right? Was, did you take a break in between there or, or what happened uh, no. since when yeah. you got started? I can, yeah, so probably about four years ago when I took your class, I was able to buy my first, you know, a 22 unit out in Pensacola. Um, that was my first kind of big deal, right? And that was basically, I've always had the rental. So that was always the case. I always had, you know, those rentals going for me. But going out of my comfort zone into different markets, you know, I will tell you up here in, you know, Colorado is probably, it's a good market for single family, but multifamily for someone in my, you know, where I was starting out, I wasn't going to find a 22 unit for, you know, a million bucks. It's just, it was, you know, three million, right? And it's like, ugh. So I think I just had to go into markets where I felt more comfortable 
where I, I did my homework and learned a little bit more. So yeah, that, that, that was really it. Just taking that time five years ago to commit to taking classes and just talking to people, networking with people on a multifamily and getting in some of the bigger pockets, some other shows and stuff like that. So yeah, I definitely, you know, the mortgage business was great too. Don't get me wrong. I made very good money. I was a top producer. So that was, a, you know, that's a high stress business. I look back, it's like, man, you rely on the realtor, you rely on the economy, you rely on so many things that can impact you in the mortgage world. And there's never really, you're never really off. I think realtors, same kind of thing. We're in that same boat as loan officers. We're never really off the clock. If it's eight o'clock at night and I get a call, they want a hundred million dollar property. They need a pre-approval by an hour. I stop what I'm doing and help the family. So. So your life wasn't so bad. You had a good job, right? You had yeah, your health. Job. You're making great. Yeah. Why, why were you looking for a way out? What, what was the problem you're trying to solve? Problem was, yeah, just I felt like I could never relax. Like on a vacation, I always felt like I had to check my phone. And I always felt like there was never like this, hey, I just want to go on vacation and not worry about anything or go home. And, you know, I always felt like, oh, I got to get this call. You know, just competitive nature comes out. So that's, that's a big part for me was just that breakaway from not feeling like I was free from that. So we find a lot of times when someone has a, when their life ain't so bad, when they have a, a really good plan B, plan A being, I'm going to get, you know, financial freedom with, with real estate, they just don't follow through on it. Either they just don't get started or they get started a little bit and don't follow through because their plan B, which is their current life, is not so bad. Why did you continue moving forward with this plan when your current life wasn't so bad? Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, because, you know, we bought that first one and then... I was like, okay, I'll still look for some deals. You know, I was on LoopNet and just kind of happing it out. You know, then I really started getting busy with journaling, goal setting, and not just saying things, but putting it down on a piece of paper. And, you know, like I said, I think it's one of your podcasts I was mentioned to you earlier when we were talking is that how I'll run, you know, more morning, morning just was a simple process for me, worked amazing. I told Hal, I've talked to him a couple of times afterwards and said, you changed my life on many different levels, but just having those steps in it for those listeners that don't know who that is, I'd encourage you. It's a great way for people like us who maybe have a little more, you know, chase the butterfly kind of attitude where they can't settle down. I have to have that structure goals in front of me every day and reading those and writing those out because that's what I had to do. So your solution was to write it down. You said, wrote it down. And once it was written down, you're looking at it, you're like, well, now I got to do it. Is that essentially what happened? Yeah, every single day. I mean, it's not like, hey, I'm going to come back this once a week. My morning ritual is set up like the book says, is you do your seven steps. Even though you're like, hey, I know this goal, but you have to see it every morning. And you have to do it in the morning for me, because then it just set the tone for the rest of the day. If I did it at night or even halfway through the day, it didn't have that same effect. That early getting up six o'clock, which, ugh, but getting that hour done and just like, oh, it's just... All right, well, think back before you did that first 22-unit deal. What were your goals? So obviously, you had multifamily on your on your mind. What goals did you write down? Did you, did you write down, I just want to no. do a single deal? I want to, like, what was that, what was that look like? I was just kind of the big picture. Hey, I'd like to buy some multifamily. And I didn't really have a plan or strategy to do there. I was just kind of like, I had a goal and a plan. And I didn't have anything, really. I was just wishing I could figure out a way to do it. I didn't really, you know, I was playing with stuff. I was looking online, but I didn't really have any direction or plan, quite honestly. So I, I should have probably got a coach at that point, maybe in real estate, but sometimes those are hard to do too. So in our industry, because it seems like everybody kind of, you know, wants to work within their deals and it's, you know, it's hard to develop that. So. So let's talk about your first deal then. So you got some wishy-washy goals, but yeah. somehow magically ended up with doing a 22 unit. How did that come about? Yeah, it's just, um, oddly enough, a really good friend of mine who bought some property out in Florida, came across this deal and 
felt like, hey, you know what, we can um, we can go buy this one and you know sell one of your rentals. Property was, ugh, it was in bad shape. Um, I think we bought it for seven forty, seven forty thousand. Uh, we got appraised a year and a half ago as a one point five, right now. So awesome, but the first year we didn't take any drops, and that's part of the process. I think in this multifamily, when you're buying properties that need work, you got to be in a position financially to don't take a check for the first year, and that's what we had to do because each unit required ten to fifteen thousand, and we just had to do it that way. And that's been kind of my strategy really is trying to find some distressed properties so that was the first one the 22 unit and again we, we finding the right property manager and things like that those i didn't realize how important that component is too so yeah so you did that first deal with a friend it sounds like you right. sold some of your rentals he put some money in so there's two you guys did that yeah. and uh it looks like uh, is it cash flowing now yeah it's cash flowing now um right now it's almost too small so i'm almost thinking okay Maybe we sell this because I, I like playing in the $100 rule. You know, I think that's where the money is. And 22 is okay, but if I can sell this and take my 3000 a month and make that 6000 a month, then that's the way to go. So I do kind of think that it was probably a little, a little too small, but I, I just feel like the 100 unit area is where I like to play. So, Well, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, if you look back on your first deal, you probably today would not do that again. And the same thing goes for me. In fact, I wouldn't do the deal I did two and a half years ago, right? It's like, <laughs> ah, things change, right? You right. become clearer uh, of what you want. You become better at what you do. But without that first deal, you wouldn't be where you are today. No, so what sure. what role does that first or did that first deal play for, for you? How was that important? You know, quite honestly, it's always hard when you're, in a, when you're not living in that town. And I found that to be, yes, we can fly down there and Florida is not a bad place to visit, but it's still developing relationships. You know, I knew a lot of plumbers in my area. I knew a lot of handyman in my area. So getting to those people there that you can trust those third party vendors that that took me some time to figure out how to do that when they seem like they were pretty good and then they let you down or they tell you one price and you know, how this is, it comes back three times higher. So that takes a while when you go into a new market. And I think having, we didn't have a realtor really out there either. We went right to the seller. So we didn't really have any coaching of, you know, that kind of area too. So I think that was the biggest component for me and a property manager too, negotiating all that stuff with them. So. And we're going to work our way into the hundred unit you did uh, 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 recently, but what, what happened after, after they did yeah. the 22 unit? So then we went on, um, we, we purchased an 88 unit, same partner, and we brought in two other partners on this one. It was an 88 unit in uh, Wyoming. I'm, I'm right on the board of the Colorado Wyoming border. This was a family dispute situation. The dad had built multifamily all through Wyoming. And the daughters, the dad, the brother was actually running it and was not running it properly at all. So they wanted to sell this property. And they quite honestly, we, you know, we heard, we got a lead from an attorney that said they might be selling it. We called them, we sat down with them, said, we'll take this off your hands. We had a local bank in Cheyenne that, uh, this is where we bought it at, who was like, we can close in a month and a half. I mean, that's one thing I'm finding is these local banks, man, you can get in there, get them close quick. Then you can restructure into different products. So we are the buy this 88 unit for, geez, it's crazy what we made on it. But, you know, we, we, we definitely, we're in a position now where we're great at, we are able to take more than our money out on this refinance we're doing. We're doing an FHA refi on it right now. We're in the process, mm -hmm. almost closing on it. But again, those take time. But that was our last, our next deal is 88 unit in Cheyenne. Again, low when income. Was that? Ed, when, when was that? That was, that would have been about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, yeah. 
we went through, like I said, a local bank, got a great interest-only arm type products. We refinanced again back with that bank again. And, you know, I think it's all about stabilizing the market. And, you know, again, that first year, we didn't take a drop. Same thing. We went in. This was low-income housing. We did the, you know, plank flooring, everything the same, turnkey, had a great property manager up there. You know, we elected on that one not to, I think it's interesting, and I love your opinions on this, uh, Michael, is the 88 to 100, I'm seeing a lot of people having the full-time maintenance guy. And I could not see the value. I felt like resourcing, outsourcing those out to the plumber or the electrician made more sense than hiring this guy who ultimately probably wasn't real expert anyways, but it seemed like a lot of these companies that do that on their books, they're paying this guy 50000 a year that he actually doesn't even really do it right. So I don't know. I think cutting that expense and doing it the way with you know plumbing, electricians, and just having specialized pieces really helped on our cap rate on that one. So Yeah, that's, that is fantastic. So you, you had a same partner. Talk first of all, how did you find that first partner and then the other two? Yeah. So my first partner, our kids went to school together. So they've been all the kids, we go to the small little school together and I got to know him and I would consider him a big in real estate, but like me, single family, a lot of single family and not really multifamily. And that's where this all kind of developed. And we just both kind of grew together. He's got a knack for just um, people, person can talk to anybody, you know, loves to just kind of open up everything. So when you trust somebody like that and you know what their skill sets are, then it makes it very easy. And again, our, our, the, our wives are best friends. We just got back to vacation with them recently up in Steamboat. So we're just, you know, just someone that I knew for a long time. And the two partners we bought into Cheyenne are both engineers, you know, up here, up in Northern Colorado. And they're both, you know, high income jobs, but they saw the value of multifamily. And, you know, we got a little more on that deal, Sam and I, because we did the work, but they're okay with it because they're getting their checks now. And they're like, we got all our money back. So it worked out well, well for them. So. So how did you find those two? Because now you didn't syndicate this deal, but you're still bringing in uh, private individuals. So yeah. the only yeah. difference between a syndicate syndication air quotes and not is that you guys are, uh, are all four active partners. There's really no limited partners in a deal. But still, right. still, you're talking to people. You're convincing yeah. that this is a good idea. How yeah. did you go about uh, bringing or finding and then bringing those two yeah. uh, partners into the deal? Well, his daughter and my son were in the same class. So they both basically we got to know him. We met him at a function at the school and um, just started talking about real estate. And one thing led to another. You know, one thing in my world now that I'm kind of you know feel like I'm doing good in this real estate thing. I have a lot of people always call me, "Hey, Ed, hook me up on your next deal." You know, it's uh-huh. like, but you know, for me, it's it's getting someone. Yes, it's great. Give me a hundred thousand dollars, but I want them to be active with me. And I I think one area my next level might be is doing more of the syndication process and getting that a little more in depth because sometimes I don't now that I've kind of had this experience I think that's valuable and I need to just make sure I get with coaching like you or somebody to you know set those numbers up right that still will benefit for me because I do like when everybody puts equal amounts in because then I feel like everybody's working for the same goal there's accountability there so I do like that component but I think that's part of the process. Well, let's talk about this, uh, this, this this capital raising because a lot of people said, how do you raise money? And I always say, well, it's not you're, you're not really going out there, quote, raising money. You're building relationships with people. Right. But perhaps the conversation is a little more intentional around real estate. So how did this replay that conversation yeah. with you know yeah. people and your, your friends or coworkers and you're having you know, yeah. small talk? How does that evolve into them ending up investing with you? It's always, you know, you use that forward approach. You probably heard that too, where you're talking about their family, you're talking about their occupation. And it just brings it out. It's just natural. It's not a, it's not a, Hey, I'm going to talk this all one day to you. It's, it takes time with some people, especially engineers. They're more, 
probably more analytical than most. So they're going to super analyze deals. But yeah, it just took time. And once you had some success too, I think then you have some credibility. And that's even on that 22 unit, I was showing the credibility of what we were able to do, take a very, you know, depreciated property and make it worth, you know, double our money in essence. And that creates value and that people kind of eyes light up because I mean, honestly, single family, that's difficult to double your money. You got to get really lucky to do that. So I, I just feel like slow time, don't push them, don't pressure them. But if they want to come talk to me, then I just say, hey, here's what I did. And it's all here. <laughs> here are the numbers. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always say, look, just sharing your enthusiasm with people. Hey, what are you up to? Yeah. Oh, you're not going to believe I'm getting into apartments and I've got this and I got that. And they're like, no way. Yeah. And you get yeah. into a conversation that way. And that's really capital raising is really, yeah. that's really how, how it, how it goes. Now you mentioned earlier about skill sets with you and your partner, how are your skill sets different or the same as your partner? Why is that partnership working mm -hmm. right now? And what, what advice do you have for others looking for partners? Good question. I think, you know, for me, obviously being in the finance area for my whole life in the mortgage business, I get the banking stuff. I get paperwork. I get, you know, how you shop rates and how you talk to bankers. Cause I think that's a huge component in the beginning. And the second component is, you know, the vendors, obviously and the property managers where he's a property manager, he owns a property management company actually here in Northern Colorado. So he brings a lot to the table, understanding the ins and outs of property management you know, making sure that property manager treats us like the, we're their best client. We really ultimately want that dealing to take place. And I, I don't want to ever feel like I'm pushing on them too hard where they would, you know, fire me. I try to treat them like I'd want to be treated because sometimes, you know, landlords don't act that way with their property managers. They feel like if it's not rented, it's their fault. What are you doing? You know, not listening to what the property manager has to say. So yeah, he brings in that skill set. And overall, we just, you know, we're committed to those weekly calls in the beginning to figure out what we got to hash through. We have our checklist. We are accountable to you do this. I do that. You do this. I do that. Mm. And I think in the property management world, you know, it is too, that first couple of months, it's just a lot of just figuring out what do we got here and how do we market? And so once you get that through the idea is then, okay, I might check in once a quarter, but we're done. But you do your checklist in the beginning. Everybody's fills in a part. That's why I like having like the three to four investors. I think that's a great number for me in my world to play with. So, yeah. So uh, that's a good point. I think that, that what I've seen in partnerships work is the accountability is key in the division of labor uh, with accountability. So you yeah. do this, I do that. And then there's accountability there. What I, I found this difficult when you say, well, we'll, we'll both work on this together. And you, it's not, it's ill-defined and you're kind of sharing, you know, responsibilities, which, which is always uh, problematic. It sounds like you guys have kind of divvied up the work and you guys are holding each other accountable, which is a kind of secret to your success, which is, that's great advice for any kind of partnership. So yeah, yeah. I really we, like we that. We did it well. right. We hired the attorney. We did the operating agreement. It's expensive to do those things, but you got to do them. And I mean, I learned that from you too. It's like, you don't want to just have a handshake if, you know, if I were to, die tomorrow, what's going to happen to my real estate? So having a good attorney and we, we did, we spent the money on that, but it's just an ease now we have it. It's a, it's a hurdle there that's gone and you know, people can change. And we, I mean, I feel like we're good relationships, but things can happen, you know, that could mess up that LLC. And I want to protect any and all areas like that. So you got to do that. You just have to. Now, if I'm doing the math correctly, Ed, uh, you did your first uh, deal in 2015 and your second deal one and a half years ago, and uh, that's like a long time. It's like three and a half years. Like, yeah. are you some kind of slow learner or something? Or why did it take so long? <laughs> what yeah. happened? Yeah, I mean, I was, so I was still maybe buying, I was buying some fourplexes and duplexes in Pensacola. Uh, we were trying to find some bigger deals. And we just, 
for the lack of really anything, I probably wasn't as committed as I should have been. You know, I felt like, oh, I'm doing fine with real estate, mortgage business, and I kind of fell back in that routine and was not, wasn't like there wasn't this drive there, I think. And then, I mean, it was internally, but I felt like I didn't know what to do. And I, you know, part of it's my fault. I should have, like I said, had a coaching or had some more accountability. And it wasn't like I was hurting financially. So, I mean, for me, it was like, okay, I still got time. But then I started doing some numbers. And, you know, one of them was to retire by 50. I put that down on my goals. Again, reading Hal's book and some other books. Just, I didn't, I've never been much of a reader or even much of a podcaster growing up. I would say the first from 19 to 30 or something, I probably hardly did any of that. Now it's like every morning on my bike, I'm listening to a podcast. I'm always wanting to get learning now. And I think that once that switch turned on about learning and educating myself, hmm. whether that be in real estate or character coaching, whatever else, and I'm committed to it every day, man, it just changed me. It just absolutely put me on the right course. So, so you, you talk about Hal Elrod and in his newer book, uh, The Miracle Equation, he talks about goal setting. Specifically, he kind of you know changes the goal setting in a way that really resonates with me where uh, he, he tells you to, to commit to the outcome, not so much to the timeline. Yeah. And I, that's the way I was thought that to, you know, goals have to be specific, measurable with a deadline. Mm -hmm. Okay, the problem with that is I'm going to do my first deal in the next 12 months. I'm going to retire by them, blah, blah, blah. And then right. the, and that time comes and goes and you have your first deal. And all of a sudden, people get discouraged. They get frustrated. Right. And many people quit at that point because their goal was to do it by the first 12 months. And, and what we find is people, for example, mentoring students, we kind of guarantee results that they'll get our first deal or get their deal done in 12 months. But some don't. Right. Uh, and we continue working with them. But then two, three months later, they get their, their own deal. Now, had they given up, they would have never gotten that deal. And, right. uh, you know, so you kind of pull back a little bit. And then when you started working back from, hey, I want to retire, but I'm age 50, and you started working back, is that what made you realize that you need to do something now and you can't wait another year or two? Yeah, I mean, that's what I felt like. It's like, if I don't hit the goal, I don't hit the goal. But there's no way to hit the goal unless I get out there and try, you know. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I think that's just how I naturally reacted to it. And I was, I didn't proactively go out. And then I, you know, I just started building that back up again. You know, like I said, the, the, the Cheyenne deal, for example, was something that I might have passed on years before because I didn't know how to ask the right questions or get in front of these people right away. So, All right. So you kind of let life get in the way is my, if what I read this. So you did a yeah. deal, you were all hot and heavy. And then actually you and I lost, lost touch and I don't know what the heck you did. Right. Uh, you were, you were violating my law of the first deal normally because you're like my only example that took longer than a year to quit your job. <laughs> and uh, so life kind of took over a little bit. Yeah. What is your what is your advice to someone? Because I mean, it's a reality, right? Life it just kind of takes over. And again, your life wasn't so bad. So you got back into the mortgage business and you bought a couple of you know houses or duplexes and stuff like that. What is your advice for some uh, to someone to to stay, keep the momentum, and stay committed? Well, again, I would say you need to find some type of outlet in the morning. I know it's that it sounds crazy, mm -hmm. but I don't know what the statistics are. But I know writing things down are the biggest thing that. I felt like it wasn't a big deal, but I will give 110% testimony that if you don't write those down, you are not going to do it. I mean, there might be those exceptions to some people that are uniquely gifted, but for the majority of us out there, you've got to do that. And for me, it was what was my number that I needed to close with? You know, how many units did I want? And I really kind of tried to not only do a big goal, but then subdivide that out a little bit better. And for me, that was just an important component because then it was measurable. I think sometimes we want to get to the end and then sometimes you can get discouraged and you just have to take those little steps. And 
I mean, I still looked at deals and I still tried to figure out what I wanted to do, but I probably wasn't as aggressive in some sub markets that I needed to be. So, so writing down for you uh, is super powerful, and it is for me as well. I, I do the Miracle Morning as well, and it does it does remind you of why you're doing things and what your goals were. Because yeah. if you if if you do, I mean if you did that and you constantly miss your own goals, like that you it would just frustrate you, right? And yeah. it, it would just yeah. And so yeah. and so, but not writing it down, it's not a not a big deal. Oh, you missed your goal this week's not a big deal because you can do it next week. And so I do agree. I think writing it down is very very powerful as well. So you did that eighty-eight years about a year and a half ago. Uh, mm-hmm. What was your what was your next deal you did after that? We did one in Oklahoma. So what I started realizing was, you know, I've done a lot of loans for a lot of people, and I started just kind of talking to people like, "Hey, where else do you buy in the United States?" You know, because it's it's difficult to figure out hot markets, right? And you know, I came across a guy who was buying out outside of Tulsa area. And, He's like, these are cheap houses. I think, what about multifamily? He's like, oh, that's, I don't know. That seems really complicated. I was like, not really. I promise you. So, you know, when we went into that market, I I wanted to find a good realtor. I vetted a couple of them. I think having, again, having that background, telling them my experiences was huge because they took me seriously. We went into a bank there, a couple different banks. I wanted to get my financing set up first. That's just my mindset. I want to have that approval done. Amazing financing package. We went through a couple different local banks. I love those mid-side banks. I mean, we got in like a 15% down, interest only. And then we got like a $300,000 line of credit afterwards. But I asked the questions and I was aggressive with the you know bankers because I wanted a good deal on the financing side. And I'm very upfront with them like, hey, my deal is we're keeping this for two to three years. We're going to get the cap rate up and we're going to refinance into a Fannie Mae product. So they know that going in. But I said, well, I'm going to keep doing this with you. So building relations with the banker, I mean, he was great. He picked us up at the airport, you know, total Oklahoma style. I felt like I was, you know, took us out for dinner, had some cocktails, and then the realtor met with him. And again, I, he was a you know, good guy. He worked for a bigger company and had a couple off-market deals for us to look at. And, you know, going out there, obviously, you can't do it all over the phone. You've got to get in the plane and drive the car and get out there and talk to them. So. That's awesome, Matt. That's that's great advice. Uh, it's a little harder to do right now, but we've noticed that yeah. people who do hop in the plane before they get a deal on our contract, it accelerates the relationship building, oh, okay. and the and the and the realtors uh, brokers start feeding them more off market or semi off market deals. How did you come to that uh, third uh, third deal then? Yeah, I mean, he was taking us around to properties, and we were checking them out, and you know, they looked okay. I was like, eh, I want something a little bigger. You know, these forty units, fifty units, that's okay. And then he calls me about three days later and he says, well, I got this guy that might want to sell this hundred unit. And I was like, okay, where is it at? And what is it about? It had some interesting components to it because it was under the housing authority of Oklahoma. And I had to abide by the housing authority rules and be approved by them, which would you think would, it was, it was a difficult, I would say it was a unique process because I had to apply. I had to show that I had experience with low-income housing because of the Cheyenne project, which was mostly low-income, I was able to get through that first stage of approval. But the other component I learned was just the amount of paperwork and effort you have to go through with those because every, every is 100% of those units have to be under the income levels. And it's not me just saying, oh yeah, I promise that they're under the income levels. We have to hire a company that manages that and make sure that these people's incomes are checked out. So that component was you know a bit difficult in the beginning because it was a new area for me, a new territory to taking over a, a housing loan. And the, the sad part was I got none of the credit because he used his credit the first 15 years. We have this housing credit till 2032. 
the credit's gone. So I just yeah. have the product, but I got to still do all the work. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah. So did you raise money for this deal or how did you finance that? Yeah. So we, again, same thing. And I'm with three partners. These are two other guys that um, I've known for a long time. I actually did a lot of their loans. So I got to know them personally. It's interesting when you're in the battle, like I consider the mortgage business as the battle. When I do their loans for them, and one guy did probably 15 loans for, he has a lot of investment property. So he was retired. He sold his tree business. So he was super cool guy and just hard worker. And he was ready to do something different. And the other guy was, um, he brought in the background of really helping us understand energy efficiencies and things. That was his area. So that's been huge for us is understanding all the benefits to energy efficiency. And he was really good with the Facebook marketing and some of that stuff. So really a different group I've been working with on this group. But the guy with the Facebook, he was the one that had all the property in Oklahoma. So he was the one that said, this is a good market. So I love having a testimony from somebody I know that says, this is a good market to be in. And it has been. So, and we've closed on that about three months ago. So you have, again, partners in this deal. Uh, yep. How many partners total? Three. Three. Me that's and two fantastic. other guys. Me and two other guys. So yeah. three total. Yep. That's, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's amazing. What's kind of next for you? What are you going to do next? Yeah. Right now, like I said, I will probably looking at putting that 22 in on the market. We are kind of liking Oklahoma right now. Florida's becoming very popular. So it seems like right now, I don't know if you're seeing that too. It's, it's sometimes the deals aren't quite as, it seems like, you know, whenever there's a hot spot, and, you know, I use that word badly in this time of year, I know, but areas in, in real estate, sometimes you have to start looking at other markets. I'm interested to see what happens with colleges and universities with all this going on and the online thing, because it always said, go to college town, always be in a college town. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, how many students will decide not to. I have a cool story though. I helped my 19 year old buy his first duplex. We closed on that last week here in town. So he's- Is that he, right? Yeah, he's in the military. Went to the military right out of high school. And yeah, got him his first little duplex. And he's, you know, he's going to live there, make 500 bucks a month living there. So that was fun to see him go through the process at 19. And he's like, dad, this is really easy. It's like, well, it's because I did all the damn work for you. <laughs> you know, but just seeing him and sharing that process with him of how that works and you know smaller scale but at 19 that's like i want every one of my sons to have that opportunity so it's been great that is fantastic so you're yeah you're trying to get an involvement in the in the business a little bit more yep and uh so so you're going to go deeper in the oklahoma market what kind yeah. of deals are you doing yeah. uh, are you gonna uh, are you gonna start syndicating perhaps or are you gonna continue doing what you're doing which is with partners i think for now partner seems to be my natural fit i think i just need to probably spend more time maybe with somebody like you or somebody that has done more syndication and take some understanding what my value is worth and be able to present that in a way that says, yes, I am worth an extra 10 or 15% because this is what I'm doing. And I feel like that's the process I need to understand a little bit better, but I, I'm excited for it. I just feel like what that looks like, I don't know, but I do, I know there's a lot of people out there that are sitting on some money that would want to invest with me, but I just need to figure out and understand that better. But for right now, I do kind of like the three to four deal. We can all kind of work together. We, we bet our property managers. We, again, I have the same checklist kind of things I use with these guys and it's, it's worked well. We communicate weekly right now. We're right in the early process of this property, getting it transferred over and fixing up units. It was, we had some crazy bat story last week where a protected bat lived in this, or protected bats, I should say, live in this one building. So we had to get them out of there and just interesting little things that some markets have that we're not used to. So yeah, but 
Yeah, if you look back uh, on your last five or six years, it, what, if anything, would you do differently now if you could, mm-hmm. you know, have a conversation with your younger self? Yeah, going back to that, that's like the John O'Leary question, right? Where you go back to your, ask your younger self. No, I think it would have been just maybe really, really reaching out to relationships better, I think, and trying to be more aggressive and looking at different markets. I think I don't always feel comfortable approaching people to invest with me. But if I can go after a property and they share that same passion with me, then it makes it much easier as a group of us to go in together. But if I'm just like, hey, I need $100,000, I'm going to find a property. Will you have a property? Well, no, I don't have one yet. So I think just if I would have took a step back and maybe really got to get into some of these markets and truly spend some time in these markets and understanding would have been a great idea for me to do. At what point did you realize that you could actually cover your living expenses? with this thing? Like when did that occur to you? Right after the Wyoming deal, right about a year and a half ago. I mean, I, you always kind of that, that was your second deal. Yeah. It, it did, the light bulb didn't go off and the first deal, it was only the second deal. What was it about that second deal where you go, oh my gosh, well, this can actually work? Yeah. Once we, you know, once we refinanced that thing and we got all our money back and then some, and we were still making amazing money, I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I do this earlier? It's like, oh my gosh. And you know, you hear the stories, right? And you're like, okay, but you don't, you don't always know where the deals are at. And I think sometimes that's the hard part is finding the opportunities to make this go from this. And it doesn't take much. It's funny, my new partner, he didn't know what cap rate was. He's like, hey, you always talk about cap rate and all this. Now everything's about cap rate. Hey, Ed, if we get this down to this, our cap rate's going to be here when we refinance. He's all about understanding that, you know, that correlation between getting the rents up a little bit on 100 units, getting expenses down a little bit here, how that can just make that value go from here to here. So he's, he gets it. So I get excited when people, when I get to educate people on that component and show how, how just tweaking little things here and there on 100 units gets you there. Where 22 unit, you could tweak a little bit. It's not going to help you as much. So that's what I've kind of felt was just maybe that understanding of the small steps. Ed, what parting advice do you have someone who's kind of, you know, where you were five years ago uh, and who wants to do what, what you've done, which is basically cover your living expenses with uh, multifamily income? Build a big team. Have a good team. You know, don't think you can do this alone. Um, I think it's important you develop a team, whether that's in your personal fear or go out and try to find some people that you trust, build a relationship with, and then really educate yourself on markets. And it's a big word when you say markets. You know, that could be kind of scary because the United States is massive, right? But just feel what you're comfortable with and, you know, use the syndication deal. I mean, obviously the syndicator I use that all the time, your analyzer is what I use. And it's it's easy to use. It makes me analyze deals quickly. I can go on to the next one. I can get on LoopNet or Creeks or whatever else I'm getting information from and really bet those because people, you know, we find people do lie on their profit and losses. People don't always tell you the full truth. And you're like, oh my gosh. And I tell people all the time, it's like, just because this says this from the seller, you need to get the bank statements and everything else. So make sure you do your homework on that front side and make sure you, you know, you need to get that first deal done. I think you, you preach that and it's so true. Getting that first deal done gives you some confidence. And if you're in a position where you're financially strong and you got to then maybe figure out time blocking a little bit better, what time, how much time am I going to spend a week doing this? Because if you think I'm going to spend 40 hours and you're working 40 hours, that ain't always going to work. So, Well, I'm glad you reconnected with me, Ed, because I was very, very concerned about my law of the first deal. You would have been the only person I know that has done their first deal and had not done a second. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that you finally got back on the, you know, on the on the wagon and did that second and third deal. And uh, now you're financially free, which is awesome. How can people connect with you, Ed? Yeah, my email is Ed Hermsen, H-E-R-M-S-E-N, one four one one four. 
at gmail.com. But yeah, that's probably email is probably the best way to connect with me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you again reconnecting with us and and uh, and inspiring the thousands to follow in your footsteps. So thank you so much for being here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, one of the things that Ed mentioned that he would have done differently is maybe signing up with a coach and some and get some accountability. He mentioned that twice, and uh, he feels a little uncomfortable syndication. I told him after the call, you shouldn't feel uncomfortable syndication. You've essentially already done it. You already have track record. You've already talked to people about investing. You just have to start scaling this thing, uh, this thing up. But. He said, hey, it would have been it would have helped him achieve his goals faster had he had a mentor. And this is in fact exactly what we do in our investor incubator mentoring program. We accelerate timelines. That's exactly what, what we do. And we're really excited about a dealmaker live. We had a whole bunch of people uh, receive their first dealmaker coins and receive their Freedom Hall of Fame coins when they quit their job. And so we're really proud of what our mentors are doing for our mentoring students. So if you value mentoring and you're able to invest in yourself in that way, you want to accelerate your timeline and kind of buy an insurance policy to avoid some of the more expensive mistakes, then schedule a call with us. Go to the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor and schedule a call and see if it's right for you. It may or may not be, but check it out. TheMichaelBlank.com forward slash mentor. All right, guys. Hope you guys were inspired by Ed Herbson's story and you do the same exact thing. Now get out there and get a deal done. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to TheMichaelBlanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook. The secret to raising money to buy your first apartment building. Till next time.